Hello and welcome to Kaplan's NCLEX PrepCast, brought to you by KaplanNursing.com, which offers prep courses for both the NCLEX RN and NCLEX PN examinations. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about what it's actually like to be a nurse. In nursing school, you're learning a lot of theory, and of course, in clinicals, you're really getting that hands-on experience, but there are some differences when it comes to actually having that license, which we all know, if you're working towards it, we're wishing you luck. We're really confident you're going to pass the NCLEX and become on, go on to become a, uh, a licensed nurse, but if you are currently a nurse, of course, you may know that there are some differences. And in today's episode, we're going to bring back Jenny Collins, just as a reminder to those of you who may have listened to an earlier episode. Jenny hosted a podcast episode for us all about pharmacology uh, several weeks ago, and she has over 20 years of experience in the nursing field, which of course makes her very well uh, versed in this topic of what the differences are between nursing practice and nursing school. And she's also been an instructor for 10 years and has been working for Kaplan as an NCLEX instructor for the last uh, three years or so. So welcome back, Jenny. Thank you, glad to be here. Good to have you back as well. I know last time I kind of dug a little bit and asked you what first inspired you to become a nurse. And uh, for anyone who's interested, go back and listen to that pharmacology episode. But I'm going to change gears a little bit since folks already know that about you and, and know a little bit about your background. So I'm curious, since we're talking about nursing practice, if you have a favorite, uh, and also Nurses Week was just a few weeks ago, so it's, it's been on my mind. But do you have a favorite success story, a uh, favorite nursing success story, nursing student success story? I know it's a big question. It is a big question. <laughs> And I have a lot, so that's a good thing to say good. I have some, a lot of nursing success stories. But I would say the one that probably speaks to my heart is the time I had um, a nurse from the emergency room get off shift, actually leave the emergency room and come and search for me in labor and delivery. And she found me and she said to me, I took care of a patient that you took care of probably six months ago, who unfortunately lost her infant. And you were there with her for three straight days. You delivered the infant. You sat with her family. You hugged on her. You loved on her. You actually crawled in the bed with her, she even said, because you didn't know what else to do. And she was in the emergency room, Jenny, just recently and for a completely different thing. But she said to me, I trust you because I trusted Jenny and you're a nurse and she's a nurse. So I therefore will trust you. Wow. And so that right there just spoke to my heart because we as nurses are the most trusted profession. And the fact that I must have done something right for make her understand that in her next health condition or health concern that she knew that she could trust a fellow nurse. So the fact that the fact that she even thought that and then the nurse to come and actually find me and say, thank you. And I wanted to share that story meant the world to me. I certainly think so. That's really a great story. Um, and I'm glad to hear that's just one of many, not surprising, not surprising at all. <laughs> And I think that serves as a good segue to my first question, which is kind of broad, but you know, you go through nursing school, go through clinicals, you have all these tests, go through labs, you have to study and prep for the NCLEX, you pass the NCLEX. And then, I mean, after all of that, those, that year, those years of work and tears and sweat and everything else, you finally get that license. 
and you're now working as a nurse. What is that like? Oh my, it's been over 20 years, but I remember it very well. I remember the first day I couldn't sleep the night before my first quote unquote job. And the coolest thing is number one, I was getting paid for it. So that was pretty nice. (laughs) Um, The second thing, I just remember being so excited and so nervous and so scared, and it was sort of all wrapped up into one. And even I think as a nurse today, there are times that it's fun, it's exciting, it's rewarding, but there's some scary times along the way, um, which is part of what we do. I mean, we deal with life and death. So I would say the positive thing about finishing school and actually having those letters behind your name and being able to go work is you don't have any homework at night and you don't have an instructor looking over your shoulder and that feels so good and that seems like such a positive but unfortunately on the negative oh when you don't know something and you're finally there you're like okay where's the instructor oh oh no i don't have an instructor so who do i ask these questions so it's a positive and a negative because you're so excited that nobody's there to watch you anymore and supervise you and, you know, ask you 57 questions and put you on the spot. But then bam, now you're like, um, I need somebody to ask, uh, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> so that it, it has its good and it's bad, both positive and negative. I can imagine as, as really any job would be. What was your first job, by the way, your first nursing? Uh, paid I was nursing a labor and delivery nurse at a very large hospital straight out of nursing school. Very cool. Well, that ties well with your story then. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Uh, Well, along those lines of not having your instructor with you, I mean, what, I'm sure there's going to be some times where you're not going to really know, like you said, what the answer to a question might be. Um, So what are the things that those listening at home need to know about nursing practice they don't necessarily teach in nursing school? Well, the found nursing school, and I've been on both sides actually in it, and then teaching nursing school gives just the groundwork. It, it pretty much when I use an analogy, I always think about building a house. It's the foundation, and so you obviously can't live in that house if all you have is a foundation and you don't have a roof and you don't have plumbing and you don't have electricity and you know all the walls. And so I always think that the first year of nursing school, it can be a little rough. And because you don't have the instructor there, but then on the other side, you're thinking to yourself, but I'm the nurse. And so I have these letters and I earned them. So I'm supposed to know everything. And let me be the first one to say, no, you're not. You're not supposed to know everything. I don't care if you've been there 20 some years. We expect to lean on each other. That's why we have peers and we have colleagues. And usually you're signed up with a preceptor and that's the person you want to lean on. And that's the person you want to go, I know this is a dumb question or I know I'm supposed to know this, but I don't because I still want to be asking. I'd rather ask the questions that might be dumb to my preceptor who understands that I'm brand new straight out of nursing school and I haven't built my house yet. I only have my foundation and I'm trying to build my house one day at a time, one year at a time. And that I've got to know that she expects or he expects me to ask those questions. And it's so much better to making them the the, sort of the dumb mistakes and realize you're going to be slower. I remember straight out of nursing school, I went to work in labor and delivery, but they wanted me to work in postpartum. So the moms who had already delivered their babies, that's where they wanted me to start for the first six weeks. And I remember my preceptor very well. She said, okay, so we have five babies and five moms today. And I thought 10 patients 
have you lost your mind? You take <laughs> care of 10 patients. How do you manage that? How do you prioritize? How do you decide what's important and what's not important? How do you juggle that? And I remember her saying, look, we go in, we assess a patient, then we go chart about it. Then we go, this is how I do it. So let, and then what was very nice is at the hospital I was at, they were very open to me learning and asking questions, even the dumb ones. So I think that's one of the things that I would probably zone in on new students is that, yes, you're finished with nursing school, but that's just the foundation. You're going to take a good year to build your house. And so build it, ask the questions, look up the answers. You may not have homework anymore, but you're going to go home going, I have no idea what that drug is. Mm. Now I'm going to take it upon my responsible, mature nurse self and to go look up that information. Well, those are definitely some differences. <laughs> uh, and, and you're right. I mean, we don't have formalized homework, but there's definitely some homework to be done if you don't know what the answer is and or if you don't remember something or uh, there's something you haven't encountered before. And it's good to know there's folks around you you can ask those questions to as well. Um, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've had to work really long hours really odd hours or working night shifts. What's that like? My first year, first three years of nursing, I worked nights and 12 hour shifts. Um, so seven at night to seven in the morning. And it was really, um, you know, most, most of us were in our 19, 20, 21 and our younger years and we can, you know, stay up all night and not, it not phases in the morning. But some of us, as we get older, that, that, that hurts. <laughs> and I do remember thinking, how do I, when do I sleep? How do I sleep? Um, I got very good with earplugs, face masks, and turning my phone off and darkening shades because I had to sleep during the day. And if you're not used to that, that's really hard to sort of jump into. The other thing to me that was hard is you would sleep and then they tell you not to come in at night because the split senses was low. And you're like, well, I, how do you go to back to bed? You don't. You just stay up because you know the next shift you're going to go on. So that to me is the hardest thing. The one thing I remember because I was 22 when I graduated is I had to remind myself that my job was different than everybody else's job. Yeah. Where they may work for a CPA or they may work in business. Um, I had to still the next morning or the next night in my circumstances get up and handle the life and death situations and be able to act on my feet and quickly and safely. And I had to remember, yeah, you may be able to play all day or play all night, but I can't do that because I have people's lives in my hands. And so that's probably one of the sort of a maturity moment when I finished nursing school of, okay, what I go do for the next 12 hours, I got to be on my game. And that means I've got to sleep and I've got to eat correctly. And I have to follow what I need to do to help take care of patients the best way I can. Makes a lot of sense. And I mean, how do you, how do you juggle work and life with that type of schedule, <laughs> especially those overnight shifts when you're essentially working when everybody's sleeping and sleeping when everybody's working? Uh, how, yeah, how do you that, that balance? I did that for the first three years and I, I really did enjoy it. Um, you sort of have to find what works for you. Some of my friends did 
like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So they would do six nights in a row and then have six nights, six nights off, which was, is great. But on day four, I'm about to lose it because I'm becoming either very punchy and silly, which is unsafe, or I'm exhausted, which is unsafe. So I never set myself up to do that. Some people can do that. I could not. The max I ever could do is three shifts in a row. And I can tell you on that third shift, I knew I was tired. And so I would make sure I slept well and that I ate well and that I exercised to, you know, help my body. And and that was a hard thing to remember because in college, you know, we had our college fun as I did too. And then you have to remember at the time I was dating somebody just so happened to be my husband now. But I remember thinking, all right, he works eight hours during the day. I work 12 hours at night. We have got to focus on quality time, not quantity time because yeah. shift work is sort of hard, especially if you have a boyfriend or you're married to somebody who does shift work also, you may never see each other. Or if you have children, you know, if you're, if this is a second career or you already have children, you have to, it won't be as hard as nursing school. I can guarantee you that you will have more time than you did in nursing school. So I would have that kudo in there, but you got to focus on, quality time versus quantity time. And what I do is life and death. And therefore I have to take care of me so that I can go around and take care of others. Makes a lot of sense. sounds, obviously you managed it. You're, you're here now and uh, you're still, like you said, your, your uh, boyfriend at the time is now your husband. So uh, (laughs) obviously you're able to juggle it, which is great to hear. And I think inspiring for those who are listening as well, that uh, you can maintain that balance and uh, who knows where it will take you from there. Um, We've been, focused very much on what it's like as an individual, uh, as a nurse, but part of that is working with others. In the nurse, nursing field, there's a lot of other people to deal with. And I think in most cases, the folks that you work with are going to be great. And at, at, in any profession, most of the time who you work with is great, but there are always going to be oh, difficult yes. colleagues. Yeah, I know you already knew my question before I asked it. Uh, so how do you work with difficult colleagues in nursing? I mean, what, what are some practices you've learned, any stories, anything that might be useful to the listener at home? Well, I can imagine that everybody who's listening probably experienced in nursing school that one difficult student. There could have been 50 of you. There could have been 300 of you. But that one person could just really be the know-it-all or the smart aleck or just wanted to wreak havoc for the rest of us. And, so, and, then, and unfortunately, that sometimes happens when we go to a job, especially when you're doing shifts and people are coming in and people are going and travel nurses and, and you've just got a lot of different personalities and, and people running around. There's always that one person. I've always said to myself, and it used to bother me because I was straight out of nursing school and I wanted everybody to like me. And then I reminded myself that my job is to take care of patients. Now, whether my other friend liked me or not was really not my problem. And the other thing, I had to keep in mind is I will not let one person have that much power. I will not let that one person have so much power. So first of all, no, you're going to get that one person. It's just going to happen. My best suggestion is don't gossip behind their back. Don't talk about them. Go to your preceptor. Go to your reliable person and say, it seems that I'm having a really hard time with Susan. I'm just making up somebody's name. And I could tell that Susan snaps at me. And Susan is, um, she, she's counting down days until she retires. And you could tell she doesn't want to be here. So what, what's the best way? How do you approach it? And that, and only do it to one person, otherwise you're gossiping, and ask that one person what's the best way. Uh, I'll share a little story with you. I went into a 
facility when I was a nursing instructor in Hawaii. And I could tell this one nurse was not happy with students. And I thought, is it the students? Is it that specific student? Did I offend her? And so I walked up to her and I had already introduced myself. So I just reminded her who I was. And I said, just from the outside, it looks like you're very frustrated with my student and, or you may be very frustrated with me. So obviously I have done something wrong. So I took the responsibility. That's the easiest way to do it. I'll take the responsibility. So what can I do to change this so that my student has a positive experience? You have a positive experience and I have a positive experience. And she um, had had a long story, but she appreciated me coming to her as addressing the situation. I removed my student from her for just that day. Just that day is all she asked because she had some personal things going on, some patients that were causing problems, some providers that were causing problems, and she just could not add one more thing to her plate called a nursing student. But then after that, every single time I was there, she goes, let me have a student. Bring them on. I love them. Bring them on. She was just, <laughs> went out of her way to help my students because she knew that one day did not go so well. And I said, all you've got to do is tell me, just tell me and I'll see what I can do to fix it because you shouldn't be miserable. My students shouldn't be miserable and I shouldn't be miserable. So I, one of the things I do is I'll take the, I'll take the blame. Blame me. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. I will take the blame. What can I do so that this can be positive for everybody? That's the sort of the way I handle difficult teenagers and difficult providers and difficult students. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who you're referring to with the teenagers. <laughs> yeah, we won't go there. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different podcast. Um, so <laughs> I, it, it's great that you mentioned that one of the real keys there is definitely take the higher ground. And it's amazing when you empower someone to make a choice that often they'll take the right choice, oh, yes. take the right path. So that's great. Um, really, really insightful um, example you have there as well. Let's uh, just take it a step further. What would you do if a nurse actually yelled at you, raised their voice at you, berated you in front of other colleagues? How do you handle something like that? I mean, we hope it doesn't happen, but there's a lot of stress in this job and it's bound to, someone's bound to at some point or another, um, snap in some way how do you how do you manage an interaction like that well of course i hope it does not happen to anyone but i'll just go ahead and tell you that it will and so let's figure out how the best way we can approach it <laughs> unfortunately two things there is no crying <laughs> and there is no yelling okay there is no crying and there is no yelling because you have got to remember this is a professional concern and therefore i will handle it professionally. Now, as nursing students, we have all learned how to therapeut therapeutically communicate. And my students tease me because I say, you know, that's not what I really want to say, but therapeutically, this would be the right thing to say. So remind yourself, what comes out of your mouth better be therapeutic communication. So stay calm, no crying, and no yelling. And the one thing that I do is I have to remove myself. So let someone yell, and let them get it off their chest. And usually a lot of times I say to them, I'm glad you were able to get that off your chest, but so that I can be professional and handle this in the most professional way I can, I cannot discuss with you with this right now. So I'm gonna go walk away 
and then I will come back and find you and we will discuss it because I get angry. I mean, I can imagine it. I've been cussed at, I've been yelled at, I've been told I'm useless and I'm stupid. And I've been sitting there going, I would like to hurt you right this minute. But obviously that's not possible and nor do I, I should do that. And I need to stay therapeutic and professional. So I usually remove myself from the situation find someone I can vent with, and then go back. Now, I have been belittled um, in front of a patient before. And yet again, no crying, no yelling, stay calm. And I've said, doctor, whatever. I do not appreciate that you bring this up in front of a patient. So I would like to remove ourselves from this room, and we shall discuss it outside of this room in a private place. And what I found interesting is later, my patient let the doctor have it. So I thought that was quite funny on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> Always taking the higher ground, Jenny. But that's good. I mean, that's what we have to do in a professional environment. We have to take the higher ground. We have to be mature. We have to respond appropriately. And like you said, it's, it ties a lot into emotional intelligence. When you are yelled at or berated in any way, it is so easy to have a strong emotional response and just you know show it right back to the other person but it takes a, a lot of emotional intelligence a strong individual to be able to like you said either let me go think about this and come back another time and we'll talk about it or to just be able to respond in that situation without without it letting it get to you it's uh or at least not letting it show that it's gotten to you it's hard and, to do and, it, and it's definitely hard and and i I can remember the times that I did not choose to take the higher ground and then later regretted it, or I chose to raise my voice. And in the end, if someone is yelling and has a raised voice, they will not continue yelling if you don't yell back. It's sort of like if right now during this podcast, I started whispering. I have a 99% bet that Matt would start whispering also because you just react to the way someone else is reacting. We won't go there. But anyway, <laughs> um, so if someone's yelling and you are speaking in a regular tone, maybe even a little softer that they have to stop yelling and pay attention to listen to your smaller voice. And then a lot of things I have to remind myself is what could I have done differently? What did I mess up? It takes two to tango. So I'm going to blame somewhere. So find it, accept it, take responsibility for it. And then say, as I said to my physician, it is never right to yell at someone. And it is never right to yell at someone in front of a patient. Don't you ever do that to me again, or I will go up my chain of command and report you. I said, now, if you have a problem with me, let's sit and discuss it. And he didn't like the way I did something. And I pretty much said, I am sorry that you didn't like that, but that is part of my job. And that's what I will continue to do. So that was pretty much the end of the conversation. I will find it interesting. We never had a problem again. We never had wow. miscommunication. We never had anger. And he actually requested that I was his nurse with his patients. Well, that's great. You were able to, again, manage a difficult situation in a very mature way. I think that's the lesson to, to take away from here. But I'm going to complicate things slightly. What, and I'm, I think this is, this may or may not be more common. Uh, I know we're talking so far about dealing with difficult colleagues, but another situation I know a lot of nursing students and, and early, nurses earlier in their career are afraid of is dealing with those difficult clients. Uh, you know, there's, there's case and, and their family members too. And I know there's oh, definitely yes. cases, especially in these stressful situations for clients 
and their family members that they may get tense. They may scold, berate, yell at you or who knows what else. How do you manage those interactions with difficult clients? And that's a good question. And you actually pretty much answered it because you said when they are so stressed and that's key, they are not 90% of the time, 95% of the time, even hundred percent. They're not angry at me, at the nurse. What they're angry at is my mother's dying. They're angry at, I just found out this horrible diagnosis, or I just found out this, that, or and the other. So that's what they're stressed about. So yet again, back to our lovely therapeutic communication. And when I teach it on NCLEX, I always talk about the three F's, feelings, focus, and facts. So I speak to a patient with feelings, as in put yourself in their shoes and it's your mom. How would you feel? What would you think about that? I always do focus on my patient. So I focus on the patient and what can I do to help you? Not, well, I think, so I try to do my best to keep the word I out. And the other thing is to be factual, be truthful. And this is hard because we, we think about it very nonchalantly, but if you tell a patient you will be back in 10 minutes, I be daggone it, you better be back in 10 minutes because that's a factual thing. People trust us. And a lot of times patients always ask you if they or want you to do something at a time that's not very convenient for you because they forget, and that's okay, they don't have to, that we have more than just them as a patient. But of course that would not be therapeutic to say, I have more patients than you. So I usually say to them, I want to spend, I hear that you're angry. I hear that you're frustrated. I understand that you're worried and you're upset. And I want to sit down and talk to you about it when I can give you 110% of my time. So if you'll give me 10 minutes, I need to take care of two things. And then I'm going to come in here and I'll sit down and we're going to discuss it. And I'm going to see how I can help you fix it. And that usually, their faces are usually like, oh, okay. So she's, <laughs> She cares and she wants to help me, just not right this second. So I'm going to sit here for my 10. You better time it. You better time that 10 minutes. So listen and reflect to your patient. Speak to them with feelings. Focus on that patient and be factual. Tell them the truth and only the truth. And if you don't know the truth, go find it out. Go ask the provider. I need you to come and speak to this patient. They did not understand their diagnosis because that's not in my scope of practice to discuss that. That would be in the scope of practice of my provider. Oh, very interesting. And I, I hear that theme coming up over and over again of therapeutic communication. Yes. You know, it comes up on the NCLEX too, as you said. <laughs> and obviously, there's a reason why it does. And it's uh, clear through these stories why it does. Um, th there was something I did want to ask you earlier, actually, when we were talking about those, especially those late hours and potentially working many shifts, uh, double shifts. I mean, there's chances, of course, that you're going to get burned out or exhausted. And it's difficult, especially if you have to do a job like being a nurse to be tired and exhausted, but it's bound to happen at some point. How do you manage that? How do you deal with being exhausted or even burned out? Well, I remember I worked in labor and delivery for the first three years of my career. And towards that third year, I was becoming burnt out. I'll be very honest. I was, when I woke up in the morning or at night and knew I had to go to work, I was not excited. I was slightly frustrated. I was like, great, more pregnant bellies. And so I remember thinking to myself, this is not okay. I, it's not fair to my patients because you know that reflects on how I care for a patient. It reflects on my facial expressions. It reflects on everything I do. And so a couple of things I had to remind myself, Jenny, you can't care for patients if you don't care for yourself. And we know, ladies and gentlemen, as nurses, we are so focused on taking care of everybody else that we have this tendency to put ourselves 
at the back and that won't work. I'll be the first one to tell you because I was there. It will not work if you don't take care of yourself. Where that is hanging, whatever you need to do, and I always tell myself this, it's either a one hour a day or one full day a week. That, that is my criteria. No one, I just made that up as life went on with my life. One hour a day, I tell myself, okay, yeah, you, you've put down this and you'll do this and you'll do this. So what's one hour you're going to give to yourself? Is it going to be watching TV? Is it going to be on Pinterest? Is it going to be sitting with my friends giggling and drinking coffee? What is it going to be that you do for yourself so that you rejuvenate? And that has seemed to work for me. I did end up going to a couple of colleagues towards the end of that third year and saying, I don't enjoy this the way I used to. And what is the coolest thing about being a nurse <laughs> is go find something else to be a nurse. I mean, you don't have to stay in the same field. That, that's what I think is awesome. So what did I do? I went and worked for one of my OBGYN doctors for a year and a half. And I did eight-hour shifts five days a week, um, getting ladies, ladies ready and checking them out in prenatal care. And so that found me something else exciting. Cause so I, I just want to say to you, if you feel burned out, if you feel exhausted, the first thing is what am I doing to take care of me and make it a priority, put it in pen and highlight it every day. And the other thing, if that's still not working is guess what? Find another path. You can still stay a nurse. You can switch to ER. You can switch to OR, you can switch to hospice, you can go to endoscopy, you can go, which is the coolest thing about the letters at the end of our name, is we're still nurses. So we, without having to go to a different degree or a different school, we can pick up and go, you know what, this is really burning me out. And in the end, that's going to affect the way I take care of patients. So let me find something different if that's what I need to do. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. If you're getting burned out, why not change things up? If it's, you know, try the things you, you can do to manage it in the interim, maybe while you're looking for something else, if that's what you decide to do. But you're right, having those, uh, those two letters at the end of your title, uh, or at the end of your name, really make a big difference with where you can go with it. Uh, shifting things back to the positive, what are, especially for those who are listening, who are maybe just fresh into their first role, what are the things that, and even for those beyond it, I should say, what are the things you can do to ensure success as a nurse? Oh, there's so many things. First, definitely take care of yourself. The second is, it doesn't matter how many years I have been a nurse, I do not know everything. Um, I never will. Like I said, I've been a labor and delivery nurse. I've been a hospice nurse. I've been a blood bank nurse. I've been an endoscopy nurse. I've been a nursing instructor, but I know nothing about the ICU and I'm okay to say I don't know anything about the ICU. So the first thing is don't ever expect for you to know everything. And on that note, ask, ask questions. I had a lady, oh, she was so sweet. She was a nurse, she'd done ICU for 10 years and she needed something different. So she came to labor and delivery. So I picked her brain because I knew nothing about ICU and she would always say to me, I feel so dumb asking you this question. I'm like, dumb? Oh my, you're an ICU nurse. You are a smart cookie. I said, just because <laughs> you don't know labor and delivery and how to read strip, that's no big deal. We can teach you that information. Not a, I'd rather you ask. And so learn. I know, you, I know you're out of nursing school and you're so excited, but I can guarantee you that there is constant learning. Allow for it. Enjoy it. You're building your house. Build upon it. Build another wall that has to do everything to do with their emergency room or whatever you happen to do. And then don't forget, you have resources. You have the most awesome resources. You have physical therapists. You have dietitians. 
you have respiratory therapy, you have nurses who've been there 10, 20, 30 years. You have nurses from other states and from other countries coming in. You have providers, some of them are more willing to than the others, who are willing to help you. All you have to do is ask. They don't just walk around going, okay, who can I educate today? Who can I, they don't do that. But I've gotten so close to dietitians, respiratory therapist, because I just didn't know and said, I have a question for you. I'm a nurse and I know this is what you do, but how can I better help this, this patient with us collaborating, working together. And, and I think we forget that. I think what happens is you become a nurse and you think, okay, so I'm supposed to know everything. No, you're not supposed to know everything. You're supposed to ask so that you learn. And that the whole reason we have all these wonderful people in, on the floors with us is because they're experts in their field. So let's ask. I've sat in a room before and said, do you mind if I just listen to you talk to the patient about this diabetic teaching so I can better understand? And she's like, I would love for you to. So I just think those are, find those learning opportunities and take advantage of them. For sure. And as you said, I mean, you're constantly learning. You're never going to know everything there is to know. I think even the most experienced nurses have things they can learn. So it, it, that's right. Ask questions as much as you can. Uh, constantly be learning uh, it's, it's, uh, and enjoy the time as a nurse as well. Uh, and actually on that note, uh, Jenny, I'd like to end things on a positive note. So my last question for you is, for you, what's your favorite part of being a nurse or what you find to be the most amazing thing about being a nurse? I know there's a lot, but there, for is, you, what's there is a lot. And I would say some of the best things is that when a patient is discharged, I was part of that. I am the reason that you're well enough that you can go home. I am the reason that you made a choice to live healthier or stop drinking or add this to your life. For instance, uh, this is this story just tickles me, but we had a homeless gentleman in Hawaii who was admitted to the hospital numerous times for diabetic problems, and he never wore shoes. And so I spoke to him, well, first of all, in Hawaii, why would you need shoes? But anyway, if you're diabetic, <laughs> obviously you've got some foot problems, and that's why he was always coming in. And so he and I sat down for a long time, and I said, I tried to... Uh, help him understand why he was constantly coming in. And he said, is it cause I don't wear shoes? And I said, yes, if you, if you don't have slippers, that's what they call them. If you don't have slippers on, then you could get a cut. And then and unfortunately, because you're diabetic, that cut comes five times as bad as everybody else's cut. I know that's not fair, but I know, I know you love me, but I know you're tired of being in this hospital like every other week. I said, so could you get some slippers or I will get you some slippers? And it was just this, his smile was like, you know what, for you, I will wear slippers and oh. <laughs> on the beach rather than meet at the hospital. And I yeah. thought, you know what, good for you. So the fact that I can make changes, positive changes in people's lives, the reason the patient's smiling, the reason the patient's wearing shoes and not being in the hospital, the reason the patient made positive impact on how they're going to do things differently, and that I get to be a part of your life, even for just a short minute, so that there's a positive impact. To me, that's probably the best part about being a nurse. Oh, that's great. And you're the second person in this podcast to mention Hawaii to me. <laughs> now I'm wanting to go. <laughs> And I've actually never been, which I know is a crime, but uh, yes, <laughs> I have to make my way out to Hawaii one of these days. Uh, well, as always, Jenny, it's so great to have you on the podcast. You are officially the first person to come back more than once, and I know we're going to come back again. Yeah, so thank you again for, uh, for being a part of our conversation and for talking about all these really great uh, stories and 
really the realities of, of being a nurse. So thanks for being here. You're quite welcome. I appreciate you guys asking me and I enjoyed speaking about it. it it's, the, it's the best profession, as I tell students out there every day. There may be some days I first get frustrated or some days you struggle, but in the end, oh, it's, a, it's an awesome profession. Of course, it absolutely is. Um, so thank you again, Jenny, and uh, we will definitely talk again soon. Sounds great. Thanks. Yeah, take care. And for those of you listening at home, I'm going to switch gears over to you for just a second. Uh, first, I want you, whatever you're doing, to, to stop what you're doing. And the run caveat is if you're driving a car, please either wait to pull over or whenever you get to your destination. But assuming you're not driving right now, I want you to take out your phone and take a selfie and then upload it to Facebook and use the hashtag Kaplan NCLEX PrepCast to let us know where you're listening from. Are you on the train? Or again, if you're in a car, please do not do this now and wait till you pull over. Or if you do this uh, when you get to your destination, but are you on a train? Are you at school on campus? Are you at the gym? Are you out there mowing your lawn? Whatever you're doing, take a selfie. And again, use the hashtag Kaplan NCLEX PrepCast so we can see you and see where you are listening to our podcast. And also, while you have your phone open, go ahead and make sure you're subscribed and share the podcast with your friends. And let us know if there's anything you would like to hear, any future topics that we can share and get an expert to talk about, whether it's dealing with nursing school, the NCLEX, or the nursing profession as a whole. As always, want to thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And we look forward to seeing you again in a future PrepCast. <music>